My name is Dan Dick, the host of Church Matters. We're tackling a big topic on the program today, so we'll be breaking this up into two parts, starting with part one today. I'm honored to have in the studio with me today a nominee for the Gandhi Peace Prize, a member of the Order of Manitoba, and winner of the Social Courage Award from the Peace and Justice Studies Association. He holds a law degree, has practiced criminal law, and specializes in constitutional law. He has served as National Chief for the Assembly of First Nations from 1991 to 1997, and he is presently the National Spokesperson for Treaties 1 to 11, which span Canada's geography from northeastern BC to northern Ontario. Ovid Mercury celebrates his Cree heritage at every opportunity. Welcome to Church Matters, Mr. Mercury. Thank you very much. My research suggests that you have some history with Mennonites. Can you share some of those experiences with our listeners? Well, I've always been interested in the uh, Mennonite community in this province. I know a little bit about the history of the reserve system that was created in the early periods of settlement. But what has fascinated me about the Mennonite community is um, their uh, prosperity as a people. And, uh, and I know that my community, which is the Aboriginal people, like the First Nations in Canada, have the potential to do the same. Um, and I think uh, we can learn a lot from each other in terms of um, how we eliminate poverty in, in, in our lives. And, and the Mennonite community, I think, has um, a role to play in terms of sharing whatever knowledge and skills they have in terms of creating an economy that sustains their people. Because they did it not purely as individuals, they did it as a group. And uh, this idea of group is very big with First Nations people. Uh, we're, we're st- we still have an identity, a collective identity, as a distinct people, as a nation of people. And, uh, but Canada, in terms of its relationships with us in, uh, in dealing with the economic development, they deal with us purely as individuals, not as a, as a collective. And, and the progress that's been made, uh, in my view, by the Mennonite community in terms of uh, their economic prosperity was done initially and I think continues uh, on the basis of a collective identity. And I think that's very important. And uh, I've known um, some of the missionaries in the Mennonite community in uh, the eastern part of the province whose approach was community development that I find very appealing. The idea of helping people help themselves where the focus is not entirely on the missionization of the people, you know, the conversion of people into a, a particular faith in Christianity, but where the attention is also on the human needs of the people and working with them in terms of dealing with their particular issues or their goals and aspirations as a group. Right? Many people within, within your society and um, who have been involved in a political front as well, and uh, that's what's I've always been impressed with, uh, I think that which distinguishes, in my opinion anyway, the main natures from other churches is the, their uh, forays into um, community development, but also political struggles, the political struggles of Aboriginal people. I want to move now to the focus of our discussion today about treaties. And forgive me this long preamble, um, but I think it requires some background for our listeners. In biblical terms, a treaty means virtually the same thing as a covenant. In the Old Testament, God makes a treaty with the people of Israel. The Old Testament prophets were constantly urging 
the people to live up to their covenant with God, or what Christians sometimes refer to as the rule of God. In the New Testament, we read about a new covenant or a new treaty with humanity. Jesus, the waymaker, brought the new treaty to the world, uh, the treaty of love for humankind, love for creation, love for God. My cursory research in some biblical dictionaries defines a covenant or treaty as, quote, promises reliably made and honorably kept. And here we also find the actual word treaty. Treaties were enacted as, again I quote, complex relationships between equal or unequal parties, unquote. Treaties were inherently cross-cultural in nature and must be valid and meaningful to both parties. Ancient treaties also outlined the consequences of obedience and disobedience to treaties in terms of blessings and curses. When applied, a treaty in the biblical sense is called an enacted reality. So that's a very, very brief primer on the similarities of covenant and treaty from a biblical point of view. Ovid, I think that word treaty carries a lot of baggage in Canada. I'm very interested to hear your perspective on treaties, both as an expert in constitutional law and as an Indigenous person. Well, there is no treaty unless there is a meeting of the minds on whatever is being discussed as a subject matter of the treaty. So here in Canada, um, we have divergence views and perspectives on the meaning of treaty. Uh, the Canadian government takes the attitude that uh, the treaties are about land surrenders and extinguishment of Aboriginal title and self-determination. We take the opposite view completely, that when the treaties were made, it was to guarantee our people their survival as a, as a distinct nation, not their extinction as a people. And uh, we take the opinion that we never surrendered our, our land rights. But what we agreed to do was to share the land and the resources with the newcomers. So you can see that uh, for a treaty to, to, to uh, exist, there has to be a meeting of the minds. And uh, we have an issue here in Canada where, where the Canadian government has unilaterally imposed their understanding of the treaty for the past 137 years. But we have never given up on our interpretation of the treaty either. Uh, so this is an issue that, that's not just baggage, but it's an issue that's uh, potentially explosive in terms of future relations with Canada. If you recall what happened recently with respect to the Idle No More movement, a lot of the appeals that were being made uh, in terms of building bridges and reconciliation by people within that movement had to do with uh, the idea of honoring the treaties as understood by the Aboriginal people of the First Nations. It's very critical that Canadian people educate themselves on what these treaties really mean, and, and uh, not just to Canada, but what they mean to, to the First Nations people. And uh, that kind of... An, that double understanding of the treaties is not present right now. And for that reason, uh, we have all the conflicts that you see now, the political conflicts. Uh, and we'll see more of that in the future if, if there's no uh, reconciliation and no agreement on um, what these treaties represent and mean for all of us. You describe a treaty as a meeting of minds, and that resonates with the biblical definition that I read earlier. I'm wondering, with all due respect, I think a lot of people wonder about this aspect, the, his, 
the treaties were historically made. What role did something as simple as a language barrier play in the different understandings of that treaty? That's how important it is. I'm sure you never understood the word I said. I did not. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, Ovid, you said in Cree, I came to see you about your land. Will you give it to me? And the negotiations were undertaken in English. Uh, and and uh, our people didn't speak the language at that time. For that reason, I think the liberal interpretation of treaties has to be uh, uh, one of the basic principles. The understanding of the First Nations people, uh, the oral understanding of their treaty, has to be another basic principle for treaty interpretation. And the idea of correcting historical wrongs, I think, has to play an important role in treaty interpretation. But before I, I, I carry on, I, I also wanted to say to you that uh, when it comes to First Nations perspectives on treaty, what the elders will say to us is that when a treaty was made, promises were, were, were made to our people in the name of Queen Victoria at that time, which is the, the monarch. And um, these promises uh, were done in a very sol- solemn manner by both parties. So when it, when it came to the First Nations people, the elders tell us that before the treaties were concluded, they were preceded with ceremony and prayer. What they say is that there was a third party to the treaties. The creator is a third party to the treaties. That's why, they, that's why when you talk to elders, talk about, uh, when they refer to, to Indian treaties, like number treaties, they talk about these treaties as being sacred. That means that the, no government, no person, white or Indian, can break a treaty that's been made in the solemn presence of the Creator. See? But at the same time, no, no single party to the treaty can just exact their own interpretation of it. That's why I said to you earlier that there has to be a meeting of the minds before there is a treaty. That resonates so strongly with my research in terms of biblical treaty. That's exactly what a biblical treaty was made in the presence of God, and it was a sacred agreement. I want to share one more thing with your listeners. Um, when it comes to uh, history, a people's history, I think the Mennonites understand how important it is, uh, how important their history is to, to their present-day survival, and that uh, they want to maintain their own particular principles as a people. One of them is one is one is peace, obviously, right? And uh, they, that's why they don't want to serve in, in, in the Canadian Army or they, they want to make sure they have these guarantees before they move to uh, even back to Russia right now, right? Uh, so they're negotiating that right now. Our, our, our Aboriginal people also have basic ideas about themselves, and that has to do with their relationship with the land and the earth. So the, the basic idea being that uh, we, we're custodians for the environment. Like, we're not owners of, of these resources per se. We're here to, to ensure that the earth survives and that the resources are maintained for future generations. That's a totally different idea than this idea of fee simple, you know, uh, private ownership of land. It's, the idea of private ownership of land is contrary to our basic idea of, the, of collective understanding of our relationship to the land and the resources. So these are basic principles for our people. And uh, they, they matter to us, 
and and they inform our our our, our uh, actions today, and they instruct our duty today. So all leaders uh, uh, will know that the, the, their responsibility, apart from looking after the interests of their people in terms of housing, education, and all that, is also to make sure that our, our philosophy, our basic principles as a people are maintained and that they survive from generation to generation, that we, that we will never give up this idea of our, of our uh, duty as a people to, ma- to ensure that the, the earth is not spoiled, that the, that the, that the resources are not destroyed. And that's part of our treaty understanding. So to us, when it comes to treaty interpretation, one of the basic ideas is that is a right to a clean water and that another treaty right is a right to the resources so that the land is, un- is not spoiled by development. Because how else can you exercise your traditional activities of hunting, fishing, and gathering if the earth is destroyed? So the treaty right is is more than just the hunting, fishing, and gathering activities. It's about the earth itself maintaining its its abilities to sustain life. That's what, that's what the treaty represents to us. That completes part one of our two-part series on treaties in the church. Join us again next time for part two. We have over 20,000 listeners of this program. In addition, in 2012, Church Matters podcasts were downloaded nearly 6,000 times. We're grateful for each and every listener. To continue hearing Church Matters, please consider supporting this program with a gift to Mennonite Church Canada. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca and click on the donate link. My name is Dan Dick and you've been listening to Church Matters. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.